With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What up? It's the Crossover Pod, Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. My guest today is one of the funniest dudes on NBA Twitter. He's also a very smart and very creative individual. He is Jason Concepcion, also known to you on Twitter as Network, with a three where the second E should be. You know Jason's work uh, in the past, of course, from Grantland and The Ringer. He's now with Crooked Media, where he is a very busy man. He is the co-host of along with Renee Montgomery of the Take Line Pod, which covers sports and culture. He's the host of the X-Ray Vision Podcast, which covers pop culture and entertainment, everything from Star Wars to Succession. And of course, he is the host and creator of the very funny, all caps NBA, one of my favorite things on the interwebs. Uh, Jason's won an Emmy for his work, well-earned Emmy. He's also a diehard, long-suffering Knicks fan. I know that can sound redundant. And since this is now Cam Reddish Day in New York, We'll definitely discuss his Knicks as well. Before we get to all that, a reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the YouTube version of the pod. Just search Sports Illustrated Podcasts on YouTube. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Okay, my conversation with Jason Concepcion Network is coming up. So stick around. Now, pleased to be joined by the host of NBA All Caps, the Take Line Pod, many other things, the Emmy Award winning, I love Yay. saying that, Emmy Award winning Jason Concepcion. Jason, 
Welcome. First ever Emmy winner on the crossover. Uh, wow. Unbelievable. Well, I'm happy to break that, uh, break that barrier and delighted to join us. Join you. Um, Emmy winners don't just stroll through here oh, come just on, on a so whim. many of us. It's, the, I mean, it's not that, here's the, this is a dirty secret. My manager and my reps will hate me saying this. It wasn't <laughs> like that. It's cool. And it has been, it's a cool thing because people now take you seriously, but it's not like, it wasn't, it's not like there aren't a lot of sports Emmy winners out there. See, this is what happens when I met you, you were in New York still. Now you've been in LA for a few years. This is the LA thing, like where everybody, you could just throw a rock and hit somebody who's got an Emmy, an Oscar, or Grammy, <laughs> something, right? Like it's, it's, you just, you're just numb to it all. You're just surrounded by people with shiny, they just walking around with them on the beach, aren't they? Uh, I mean, I do know a lot of people with Emmys, but it's, and, but a sports <laughs> Emmy in particular, you know, it's, it's, I am very proud of it. It's one of the coolest things that's ever happened. Um, in the, in the firmament of awards, I think fairly the sports Emmy is towards the lower end of your Grammys, your Oscars, your TV Emmys, your, you know, uh, your daytime Emmys, et cetera. This That's is, all I'll say. I'm, I'm what, proud of it. It's way bigger than if you'd gotten something like a daytime Emmy for like a guest appearance on General Hospital or something. Is that show? Oh, that still would be on? cool. That would be cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> I will note for the listeners, um, and, and people could see this if they watch NBA All Caps because it's yeah. the same background. The Emmy is literally right over your head, so clearly it's it, it looks means great. Something. What um, a statement piece it is. <laughs> it it really is. Uh, I'm more curious actually about the sword that's hanging menacingly over it. And I got to ask as a Game of Thrones fan, is that Valyrian steel? It is Valyrian steel. That's Oathkeeper. One of the two swords uh, made from the Stark family sword ice that was melted down by Tywin Lannister. Um, One to make Widow's Whale, King Joffrey's sword. Widow's Whale! And then uh, this one, Oathkeeper, that was given to Jamie Lannister, and then he gave it to uh, our good friend Brienne of Tarth. Nice. Um, I'm so glad that that was, in fact, actual Valerian steel. Because that was just, yeah. a, a, I was making a, a stab at it, so to speak. I, um, but it had to be. Because you yes. are, like, you are Mr. Binge Mode Game of Thrones, uh, <laughs> what, which was one of my favorite things. Um, I, I miss, I, I should go re-listen to the whole, I, actually, I should go do a rewatch. I don't have time for that, though. Which actually brings me to this, to this question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're going to get to the Knicks and your Knicks sure. fandom. And Cam sure. Reddish Day. It's Cam Reddish Day in New York. Did you know I that? love it. I, you know, I'm very excited uh, by this trade. I was, uh, listen, uh, full disclosure, dubious about uh, Cam Reddish, uh, but now I believe that he's an all-star in the making. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is how fandom works. Yes. <laughs> um, we're going to get to NBA stuff and some Nick stuff, but before we get to that, I, I do want to uh, like delve into this because uh, we have already swerved into, uh, into nerd, nerddom, geekery. Okay. Uh, okay. With with our our talk of Game of Thrones, like you're a, you're like a Renaissance man, Jason. Like you are Renaissance man. <laughs> no, seriously, in our world, All right? So you are very knowledgeable on on your Knicks and the NBA in general, and you do a phenomenal job with NBA all Thank caps. Um, but you are like a Game of Thrones scholar. When I used to listen to binge mode, I would just sit there in awe of the way you could recite like chapter and verse of these family histories, these dynasties, and everything. It was incredible. But you're also a scholar on. Star Wars, you did binge mode on on Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I asked, so I asked this uh, only semi-facetiously, but probably actually very seriously. Where do you find the freaking time to watch this much TV and movies and consume all this NBA and sound uh, knowledgeable on all of it? Because I, well, I can't it's gotten, do it. It's gotten harder, um, but you know, a lot of this stuff was you know you're you're prepping during the course of your life not understanding that you are actually prepping for something. You know, I was a fan of the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire books for many a year. Uh, had read them, bef- you know, before the series started. Uh, and so I was prepping for that. I was a fan of, of Harry Potter. Um, I came that to that late. I came into that uh, right before the, the, the final book. But... Um, you know, it's like I've just been. This is uh, Star Wars. I've been a fan since I was a kid. One of my earliest like kid memories is like we had a blizzard on Long Island. I was laying in the snow, pretending I was like seeing the ghost of Ben Kenobi, like uh, Luke on Hoth. You know, like I, I. This is all stuff that I've been preparing for for a while. So, getting to actually, you know, incorporate it into like work I do has been a real gift. I'm very appreciative of it. Um, it's been hard, it, you know, it's gotten more complicated to like find time to do stuff, but when you truly like love the stuff that you get to talk about, it's uh, obviously a lot easier. Um, I love the idea of young Jason Concepcion in the snow talking to ghost Ben Kenobi while trying not to get eaten by snow monsters. I would just lay on the snow crawling across the lawn, like for hours. My grandmother was like, come in, what are you doing? Come inside. I'm like, I'm... Talking to Ben, you don't get it. That's fantastic. Uh, my my geekiest Star Wars thing is that uh, a uh, and this is much to my wife's chagrin. I have to use that <laughs> phrase a lot. Um, my box of all my Star Wars figures from when I was a kid and Star Wars trading cards and everything is like still sitting in our That's apartment. Like it I, might be worth some cash, Howard. Just uh, FYI, the secondary market popping off right now. They were heavily played with. They were not like there's not like they're in the original packages. Like you know these they, these things saw some action, man. I don't know. It doesn't if... matter. I think you know like listen if you. If you're holding on to them for sentimental reasons, that's wonderful. I would suggest putting them out, putting them on display. Um, let that be part of your life. But, you know, if the, if you're looking for that lake house, somebody <laughs> needs uh, uh, some student loans paid off, something like that, I'd explore it. I do have to put my daughter through college at some point. Yeah. <laughs> the original Luke Skywalker, the original Han Solo might just pay for, like, I don't know, five minutes of one class. <laughs> Um, you've got, so it's funny because when you work in this industry that I do, right, as a sports writer covering the NBA, when people find out, it's like, oh my God, that's like the most amazing thing. It must be so much fun. It's such a blast, whatever. This is like a dream job. And like all of our jobs that work in this, in this area, of course, are, are wonderful. And we're, we're very, uh, fortunate to be able to do them. But I look at what you do, Jason, and I think, no, you've got the dream job because like, okay, people say, like, oh, you get to talk to the players like this is some big privilege. Like, no, I, yes, I interview these people and then I write stories about them. <laughs> you get to make fun of the players and the coaches and the owners and the referees and everybody else. And you could you and, and you have you have a, a great gift for this. I would not be nearly as funny if I was trying to make a living doing this. But I think like this is like this is amazing because you also get to combine um as we were talking about your your pop culture knowledge, mm-hmm. your sports knowledge, everything else, I don't think this job existed when you and I kind of sort of met on Twitter ten years ago. That's true, and and, and it's because of the time we live in. I just tell me about that because I, I I would assume 
when you and I first met on Twitter 10 years ago, you could not have envisioned that this was something you could be oh, no, doing no, 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 for no. a living. No, for sure. Not at all. Um, well, I think, you know, uh, when I started to really think about whether it was possible to, to get a job writing about sports, at first it was just writing. You know, like I was on Twitter making jokes about the NBA, you know, big fan of the NBA, the Knicks in particular. Um, I've always... Uh, eagerly imbibed NBA content, whether it was like inside stuff with Summer Sanders or <laughs> Slam Magazine or, you know, the various blogs of Blog uh, 1 and 2.0 that, that appeared, uh, the Free Darko movement, all that kind of stuff like I loved. And so when it came, when it seemed like writing about sports could possibly be a lane, and I was really started to think about it more seriously. Um, I just, I thought to myself, you know, like, what is, why would somebody, at first it was just like a, a manifestation, like, you know, of imposter syndrome. Why would anybody read me? I don't have the connections of like a Howard Beck or an experience, uh, you know, around the league, both uh, in Los Angeles and New York. I don't, like, I'm not a newsbreaker like Woj. So, like, how can I do this and what? how do I like unpack whatever traction I've managed to get through social media about like uh, talking about this subject in the way that I do. And I, and I, the thing I came, uh, came to was just, uh, you know, finding whatever authentic voice this is that I've, that, you know, that I have and trying to deploy that to talk about these subjects. And that means combining the other things I'm interested in to talk about, subjects you know dropping video game references or nerdy references in a piece about the nba or just doing it in a more comedic way doing it as a script doing it as like a like a fantastical piece of imagination not necessarily this you know here's a gamer here's what happened here's how many points were scored here's the salary cap implications of this trade here's the yada 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 there's a lot of people that do that and they do it very, very well. So how could I come in and do something that felt more true to the way that I uh, that I engaged with the league and the subject, and was also fun to do? And somehow I snookered uh, people into allowing me to do it. Uh, you snookered uh, Bill Simmons and Grantland into allowing did, you to do it. I did, and, <laughs> and I'm much very appreciative of them for that. <laughs> Um, but it, I, I actually, it's funny because that was around the same time frame that, you know, you had uh, really emerged on Twitter and when people like me, um, you know, uh, started finding all of your, your, yeah. your funny riffs and everything else. Um, and I actually, I don't think I've ever asked this and I don't know this. What were you doing for a living before it became oh. Grant Landon and the Ringer and uh, NBA desktop to all caps? Like this whole trajectory, like I know, you know, the, the content of the last several years, but like what were you doing before you got was... to actually channel all this? I was, uh, you know, just working jobs. I was working in a mailroom for a leather company, which which entailed a lot of, like, shipping and receiving of orders and then, like, pushing a cart up 9th Avenue <laughs> from 28th Street to, like, 32nd Street to in the leather district to pick up stuff and then bring it back. And that was my day job, the 9 to 5. And then I did uh, – I was, I was a waiter, a cater waiter – um, working for a number of catering companies in the New York area. Um, and I would do gigs at like 
you know, Wallman Skating Rink. I had a semi-regular uh, gig through one of those services where I would, like, uh, do the lunch service for the execs at Lehman Brothers. May they rest in peace. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, Lehman. Uh, this was obviously pre the, uh, the collapse. Uh, so stuff like that. I would do weddings. So I was just like a working, uh, I was just like working and stuff. And then my Twitter account started to pop off. And so it literally was like Twitter led you to Grant Land. I mean, was it as, 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 uh, I, yeah, as that, that was absolutely the case. I had never really, I, I had never, you know, sometimes you need, you need like an outside force to tell you you're good at something for you to realize that you're good at something. I didn't really understand, you know, I thought I was whatever. uh, Essentially, I thought of myself as like a wise ass who just kind of like yelled snarky things at people. I didn't, (laughs) I I didn't think about it as writing per se, but I, as my Twitter account started to take off, I started to think, oh, maybe, maybe I am pretty good at it. I got some opportunities to freelance for Deadspin and for um, a website uh, called the classical, which is now defunct, but which was edited by uh, you know Nathaniel uh, of uh, Free Darko fame, um, and uh, oh why am I uh, David uh, David Roth, the David great Roth, David Roth, Roth um, now of Deadspin, and uh, that gave me a little confidence that I could write, and I had some sniffs from ESPN Digital. Who at the time the, the the true hoop movement, Henry Abbott's kind of like conglomeration of various blogs into like a confederation of ESPN blogs was was underway, and so there was like an i there was like an understanding that the internet was a place that you could find voicey talent, and so I had um, I had gotten you know I'd uh, gotten a couple of like writing sample assignments through ESPN digital people, so I understood that there was like a lane there and I just kind of dove in and pursue it. But before that, before Twitter and the internet, I, there was no, I was never like, Oh, I'm good at writing. I should do that. I didn't understand. That was not on my radar at all. Um, I've been doing this for like now 30 years or so. I'm still not sure if I'm good at, at writing. I don't think us, I'm good at are, it I, I, at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's to, to be a writer is to constantly sit around going like, what am I doing? Why is anybody going to even going to read this? It's, I like to go, sometimes I go back and I'll read something like for Grantland or something else, like a bloggy piece. And I'm just like, how did I do that? What, what is this? <laughs> I don't remember doing this. This is good. But where did this come from? I don't, how do I do this again? Yeah. Could I even That's do it part. again if I wanted it's, to? <laughs> it's, it's the whole do it again thing, yeah. right? Because yeah, like yeah. you you do it and you have this moment and occasionally you'll even have like that Michael J. Fox at the end of The Breakfast Club punching himself on the, uh, the, the bicep. You're like, yeah, I, I got it. I nailed it. I nailed the essay. And then um, and then the next time it's pure panic. Like, oh, shit, yeah, somebody uh-oh. needs me to write something again. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, so you were doing this for, when you were working for The Ringer or Grantland, like Bill mm-hmm. Simmons' whole concept for those places was okay sports and pop culture and i think like even initially when i remember when he first launched that and i was like i'm not sure i understand these things all being under one roof until all of a sudden it it didn't make sense to me until it did now you're at crooked media which was founded by former uh, obama political operatives who who Mm -hmm. i think started this off purely as as a as a political media company um but you're doing a lot of the same things uh there what's is there any Maybe it doesn't matter anymore in the year 2022, where uh, a, a media platform is just a media platform and people are going to my, maybe just kind of pick and choose the stuff that they enjoy most. And it doesn't matter what the premise was for the founding. But is there any difference in, in doing what you do for Crooked Media than when you're, say, at The Ringer? Well, one of the things, not really, it, it functionally, no. And from, from an approach perspective, no. And from the type of content I'm releasing, you know, no, not at all. Um, but what I think you're getting at is, you know, um, the, one of the things the internet and social media have done, uh, along with like lowering the barrier to entry for various spaces and various different kinds of voices that maybe wouldn't get to produce content, you know, back in the day during the, the print era or the cable television era, is it allows people to separate from the brand of a platform or the brand of a network, create their own kind of uh, a brand directly to what their audience is. So um, I think the people who, who listen to me here at Crooked and who listens uh, to the work I did with Mallory Rubin over at Binge Mode at The Ringer and the various and NBA Desktop, which uh, I collaborated with with Jason Gallagher, who's now with... Uh, uh, working with Tommy Alter and, and J.J. Reddick. Um, I think one of the things, you know, that, that people still listen to me for is an understanding that the, the brand isn't crooked or the ringer per se. It's, it's me and the stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I think that that's... So that's where we are, right? Like the yeah. like I say, I think the platform doesn't matter and, and people will find it regardless. But I will say, um, because you're at Crooked Media, I have friends who are not sports fans and I mm-hmm. don't think necessarily knew your stuff specifically um, at The Ringer, but because they're political junkies and we're listening to other Crooked Media stuff, they've discovered you through that. And when they like, they like say, oh, you're going on Jason Concepcion's podcast when I was on your podcast a couple of months ago. Like, oh, they were all excited. Like, do you know Jason Concepcion? And these are folks who would have never known who you were, I think, um, in, a, in a previous gig. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It is opening up other avenues, I think. It is interesting because, like, I mean, that's the other thing is there's these 
the internet era has created these like microverses of fame. Like there are, you know, YouTubers with millions of subscribers that like probably anyone outside of their uh, the bubble of fame uh, have never heard of. It's, you know, similarly there are, you know, video game streamers with really like broad and deep fan bases that like unless you're watching like call of duty Warzone streams um you're probably unaware of so the internet has really created these like really these like fractured universes of 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 branding and influence outside of which very little of that content like penetrates into the into like the broader uh consciousness so uh, we are taping on a Thursday, which means tomorrow is Friday, which means NBA All Caps Day. Yes. And if folks don't already know NBA All Caps, uh, you should. You can go find it on YouTube. You can find it on Jason's uh, Twitter feed, of course. Um, All Caps feels like more or less an extension of NBA desktop that you're doing at the, at the previous gig. What makes for great NBA All Caps content? How long are you wow. sitting there the first couple of days of the week mulling over like are you just looking for the most absurd stuff or is it just anything that like hits you in the moment? Like I, I, I need to go after this, this, this play or this guy or this ridiculousness. Cause a lot of it, it's not all absurdity, but a lot of it is the right. NBA absurdity and that's the stuff. And this is why I love that we have so many different kinds of NBA content now that we didn't when I first started in newspapers a hundred thousand years ago, which is that it's more than just the games or the players. It is also sometimes the absurdity and yeah. the oddities and and you guys do such a great job of exploiting that stuff. It's uh it's a good question and it's something that we think about all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of it is because it's in my voice, so a lot of it is just like the things that I happen to find uh interesting. Um but I guess I'll just say, like, philosophically, what we try to do each week is, like, create a show that is actually, like, informative, right? So we have this segment called uh, uh, Anal ASMR, which is where analysis and ASMR come together. And there we try to have, like, a substantive NBA conversation, in which we hopefully talk about stats and, like, the f and players' fit and chemistry and all these and all these different things that, that normally go on in an NBA conversation, but we do it. Uh, in the in uh, the genre of ASMR, which is where the, you know whispered, where uh, we're really focusing on sounds that have like a kind of like uh, interesting texture that hopefully creates some kind of like uh, neurological frisson between the the body and the mind. Uh, go ahead and Google uh, ASMR if you want to see what that what that's about. But that's you know the the kind of thing that we're trying to do is entertain and inform at the same time. Um, and if we can dive into the absurdity, that's always great too. But like in terms of like finding the formula, honestly, like that's something we're trying to figure out every week because sometimes, you know, comedy is not like trying to do something funny is a lot harder than just trying to talk about something in a very serious way, because if it's not funny, then none of the rest of it falls together and how to do that is kind of magical. But I'm very lucky to have, you know, really talented team of people Helping with that, including uh, our, our producer, Zuri, uh, my friend, Aaron, uh, who's helping us write. So um, 
you know, we're we're trying to we're delving deeper into the formula every single week. But it, it is like it sometimes it can be hard to be like, okay, what's funny about this week? I was uh I was honored and uh scared as hell to participate in one great. of the ASMR segments. That was that was fun, a career highlight for sure. Um it's one of those things in the midst of it where you're like, I, I don't I can't how am what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Yes, this is right. this is amazing. I'm cracking up inside. I'm trying to hold it together. I don't know what this is going to look like. Will people still think? Am I still a serious journalist if I'm doing this? But no, it was a blast. I loved it. Uh, thank you for for having me on to do that. Um, where did that come from, though? Like, where in the world? Like, how does anybody even come up with the idea? That, you know what, guys? What we should really do is MBA analysis, but in ASMR. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just it really is that. Um... You know, it, it's that kind of like guiding philosophy of like, can you can you give real information but do it in an entertaining way? It's so it's funny. I mean, there's a reason that people don't just read the Wikipedia summaries for <laughs> stuff, right? Because they want to be entertained as well as being been uh, be given the information. So that's what we try to do. I have always kind of thought ASMR was it's such an interesting subgenre that uh, is kind of broken through to the mainstream, and in, in that people. Uh, seem to be aware of what it is. Um, but if like you watch some of these videos and there's, you know, millions of views, so it's out there. And I thought, I, I just thought it would be a funny way to talk about the NBA, you know? Uh, and, and it is um, every time. How much of, of the, uh, of NBA all caps is, if any of it is, is scripted or are you just sitting down, you know what the topics are going to be and you just start riffing and see where it goes. We, we um, outline it out. Um, in terms of like how subjects will fit together, what subjects will lead to other ones. There are certain um, bits that are more scripted out. Last week we had a parody song based on, uh, you know, the, the news being uh, because of the disruptions of COVID and Omicron, there's been numerous players um, that have been signed to uh, sometimes back-to-back 10-day -back uh, contracts. Many of them have been people that have been out of the league for, for a while. Joe Johnson for example, Langston Galloway, et cetera, Knicks legend Langston Galloway, um, Emmanuel Moutier, and others. And so we did a parody song based on the boys are back in town. Um, uh, and so like stuff like that will be, oh, here's here's a way to, to talk about this, uh, and we can do it through a parody song, so let's write the lyrics right now and see if we can get somebody to record it. So some stuff is more prepared and more written out. Other stuff is... Um, very ad-libbed as we run through the doc, but everything is thought about to some degree. And then some jokes are written. Um, it's a blast. I was a huge NBA desktop fan and now a huge NBA all caps fan. Those, Thank you so much. That and Game of Zones were like the two things that would like get me through an NBA season, right? Like, cause you get into this and it gets a little too serious as you're covering the league sometimes. And like, the, those were the things I, I miss Game of Zones terribly. So thank you for continuing with NBA <laughs> All Caps. I need I, I need it. It's it's uh, it, it's it's yeah, well, it's uh, here for you every Friday on YouTube. Uh, subscribe, please subscribe to us. <laughs> five star ratings only. That's for podcasts, but like you know, uh, conceptually, you can give us a five star rating in your mind. Aren't there ratings on YouTube also? There's there's like, like thumbs up, thumbs, and up. thumbs down, but I think yeah. they're phasing they're phasing some of the thumbs up, thumbs down stuff out. Um, in preparation for this pod, because I am a serious journalist and I mm -hmm. needed to prepare, um, I made sure to, to at least watch through the second episode of the book of Boba Fett. This is, this is, the, this is the dedication I bring to the table because I know you're covering this on the x-ray vision I'm pod. Covering, yes, we are. Um, 
I, I, listen, listen, I'm a little older than you, so I, I think yeah. my my feelings about Boba Fett maybe are even even more ingrained, if that's possible, <laughs> yeah. than yours. How are we feeling? You're you're three episodes in, probably. I'm only two in, yeah. so don't no spoilers on this. But like, how are we feeling so far about what uh, about Boba Fett and, and what we're now? I'm learning? really enjoying it. I'm liking. I uh, I think the Tuscans are an overlooked alien society. Uh, you know, indigenous. Uh, race to Tatooine. Um, we don't get to see much of them other than them, you know, molly whopping Luke in A New Hope uh, uh, and uh, Anakin slaughtering them wantonly in Attack of the Clones. So it was, and there's some legends, uh, you know, uh, extended universe stuff that is now non-canonical that kind of delves into their culture and, the, and uh, different gatherings they have, how they move about on Tatooine, but I thought like uh, seeing as how they were slaughtered wantonly by the uh, soon-to-be Darth Vader, it would it's been great to learn more about them and what their culture is. I loved how I love the parallels to like making your gaffy stick. Uh, I love the parallels to the uh, the way um, Jedi's get their lightsaber, which is you know they kind of. Um, find this uh, crystal that a specific crystal kyber crystal that calls to them and they go to an expert who helps them craft the lightsaber similarly with uh, the gaffy sticks you know you have a dream and you find this branch that particularly calls to you for whatever reason you take it to an expert craftsman who helps you make the gaffy stick there's some uh, definite parallels with harry potter and the way that uh, you know the wand chooses the wizard but uh, i've really enjoyed learning about tuscan culture i think the um the emotional journey of of Boba, you know, clearly he has pro- he is uh, he has a changed man after digesting for an unknown period of time, and the <laughs> digestive juices of the Sarlacc pit has come out. Has wanted to uh, do things a little differently, uh, live his life the way he wants to, not necessarily as a clone of another person or as a bounty hunter, because his dad slash brother clone was a bounty hunter. He wants to do things in his own way. Um, and I'm I'm all in on that. And then you know the the addition of the Wookiee uh, Black Chrysanthemum, who's uh, first appeared in the uh, the Star Wars comics in on in Marvel comics, is just really cool. That was has been really fun. So I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm just like a I'm in the tank for Star Wars stuff. Like I like it. It doesn't like I just want to spend time in that world. It's fun for yeah. me. Yeah, no, it, I'm the same, and it's, it was with Mandalorian as well, where it's like, I don't necessarily need this to be high art. I'm just happy yeah. to be here um, as somebody who grew up on this stuff. By the way, I do think I still also, in that same box, have uh, Boba Fett, uh, the uh, Boba Fett action figure, and Tusken Raider with the stick. Pretty ah! sure. Pretty, yeah. The sound they make is really uh, kind of, it sounds a little painful, actually. It's like it comes from yeah. the lungs. It really does. I don't know if I could pull that off without hurting myself. Yeah. Well, um, what do you think? What do you think of Book of Boba Fett? You like it? No, I, I am. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. And I will say, uh, as, a, as a Gen Xer who came up on mm. the, um, the, the Boba Fett that we knew, who we did not know at all, the reason he was did so Did not popular, know at all. Barely no. knew him. He, he said yes. like two lines the entire movie, and that's it. And then he gets and, thrown in the Sarlacc pit. And we loved him, and we couldn't wait to get the Boba Fett action figure. And then I think there was like the bigger one. There was his ship and all this other stuff. I just had the action figure um, because, like, look, the suit on its own was was cool. He it doesn't say cool. He doesn't say much, which makes him cool, right? He's just a couple of little lines, right? And he's got a he's got a jetpack. 
I mean, first of all, this is just like jetpack alone. Jetpack is inherently cool. If you've got yeah. a jetpack, you're great. Um, he had stuff that could fire out of his wrists, right? Like the the uh, the, the grappling hook rope mechanism, right? Um, there was a lot going on there. He had cool shit. It was like he, a, had, he had like the he had like the the lock of hair that like the braided hair that came down from his shoulder. There was all these kind of like little trophies on his armor that looked so lived in. I was watching that. This is how deep into this stuff I was. I was watching like the history of Boba Fett uh, featurette on Disney Plus uh, this weekend, and they talked about like the really wanting to make the armor seem lived in, so they designed it, you know. And then painted like a lower, the kind of like bottom base level level uh, layer of the paint was like in this kind of metallic silver paint, and then they would do the kind of like army green over it, and then would scratch it up so that it would reveal the metal underneath and look like it was this like worn in battle armor. It was it just uh, it, when you first see him on screen, you're like, who is that? Really made an impression yeah. on me. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the folks who were like, uh, you know, maybe they came to it later or whatever, the, this, this criticism, especially when Mandalorian came out, this idea that like, oh, who cares about this little minor character? Why do people like so obsessed with or love it? Like, you just don't get it. You either grew, grew up with this guy and the coolness of Boba Fett or you, or you didn't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to learn backstory uh, of him and and as you point out like just so much more about Tatooine Tuscan Raiders yeah. all this stuff they've really mined all this stuff I never got as deep as you did into like the whether it was the canonical stuff or non um, th- that there is a whole set of literature out there about those things I didn't There's even know so There's it's a lot yeah this is this is all new for me and it's 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 fun um, I will say uh, because I mentioned Game of Thrones earlier uh, one of the great thrills as you as you get into these things and you podcast on these things, um, you love inhabiting these these characters yourself. I I gotta say I, I miss I miss the Jason Concepcion Littlefinger and and oh Grandmaster Pycelle impressions. Oh. And so I thought you know today on Cam Reddish Day, oh gosh, where your 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 guy Leon Rose pulled off this trade for Cam Reddish, can we get Littlefinger as Leon Rose making a deal for Cam Reddish? Is that too much to ask? Oh gosh! I, let me see if I can, I can reconnect with it. It's been such a long time. Oh, uh, it's because uh, <laughs> there's very specific lines. For instance, in season two, when uh, when Littlefinger uh, takes Sansa to the Eyrie, uh, you know, to see her aunt, just like uh, pull up your hood, uh, your hair, it's a memorable shade. So, like, okay, there, I've reconnected with it now. Let me see if I could do Leon Rose. Oh, Cam Reddish, we'll give you Travis. Can I interest you in Summer League legend Kevin Knox? He's long. He's from Basketball Powerhouse, Kentucky, with all the physical tools to be a great player in the NBA. NBA Rookie of the Month. Let's not forget that. <laughs> and if you need a sweetener, oh, perhaps we can throw in the top, top, oh, 1920 projected pick. We'll convey to you once you deliver Cam Reddish to our clutches. <laughs> Phenomenal. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me. And yes. chaos is a ladder seems like a phrase chaos that the Knicks... That's, yeah. that, that seems like a very Nixian kind of thing. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. They're a normal T. Listen, if there's one thing that this in particular deal has shown, and even like the deals, whether whether they paid too much for certain guys or whatever, there is in the Leon Rose William Wesley era an overarching strategy that they are adhering to, and even now with their moves uh, before ahead of the deadline. Here is one thing that it seems clear to me that the Knicks want to do under Leon Rose is they want to move. They want to get their business done early. They want to move yes. a week before the deadline, days before the deadline. They don't want to get caught up in this kind of like bidding war. They make the move that they want to make, uh, and then they get out. And I and uh, thinking of the Cam Reddish deal, it's hard not to, to to be excited by it as a Knicks fan. You get a player with upside for a very, very low price. Clearly the Hawks feel like they have a uh, – um, a logjam in terms of talent, and I think clearly um, having recently splashed some cash for John Collins and other people that they are not thinking, do we want to pay Cam Reddish, who's been of questionable uh, uh, fragility um, thus far in his NBA career, but surely has like some upside to him? Uh, probably not, considering what we already have on the books. So, like, let's move him on before we have to pay him. And then, you know, you bring in Kevin Knox, who is essentially an expiring uh, contract. Much respect to him. Uh, summer League legend, Knicks legend, Kevin Knox. <laughs> um, you're right, though. It's it's a very just normal kind of um... it's a normal deal. Yeah, yeah. They're they're not over they're not overshooting. Like they're they've they've made a lot of just basic, very solid, and they're not all working out. And it's fine. They're not all going yeah. to work out. Um, it's better than trying to swing for the fences every time, which is what many yes. past administrations have tried to do. I still think we'll get to this. I think that's still kind of lurking in the background, by the way. But um, <laughs> but basic deals like this, like I thought this was a really great trade for them. And yeah. look, having poked around and, and sent out a few texts over the last few hours, uh, certainly the league is not that high on Cam Reddish at this stage. There are some concerns sure. about maturity and about mm-hmm. maybe some selfish tendencies and everything. And, and like, okay, that's fine. That- He's... That happens with yep. young, talented players. Um, the log jam wasn't helping him in Atlanta. Maybe he gets more run with the Knicks, or maybe Tom Thibodeau actually just like loses his mind trying to uh, 
uh, fix all those bad habits. But we'll, we'll see. It's, it's from it's a one log flyer. jam to you know from one log jam to another, and Kemba come back, comes back healthy, and and Derrick Rose comes back, and we've got Grimes now, and RJ. I think there's a different kind of log jam here, but also a fresh start. I think you're right that. There are a lot of people – listen, every basketball team has people that need the ball. I think the Hawks very specifically have people that very specifically need the ball, and it's quite clear that they Too should many. get it. And the Knicks have a similar problem, and I think you know, if there is – if I have notes of concern, it's one, uh, paying Cam Reddish going – that's like down the road, but paying him. Two, fit with the other players who need the ball, I think one of the – one of the wonderful revelations about R.J. Barrett has been his willingness to pass. He's not like the most insane, greatest passer, court vision guy of all time, but he's a willing passer and moves yes. the ball and was not the, the that was not the note on him coming out of college. Um, and, you know, so there are these little notes of concern, but. I th- you know we're in age of we're in an age of of reclamation the Andrew Wiggins project the continuing development of RJ Barrett listen we're in a great time to be an RJ Barrett fan right now particularly <laughs> yes. it's been a tough several weeks before this but right now is good uh, it gives me hope that you know he's a young player and that there there is upside there certainly as a as a kind of versatile defender and that kind of like long wing who can if he can hit his shots and if that's real can be this kind of like switchable three and d flexible modern nba basketball player i think you know the upside is there i am excited by it so i'm getting you on a good day because there's the cam reddish trade which i think yeah. uh, most people agree was was uh, at minimum it was a good swing that didn't cost them anything and at, at maximum exactly. it, it might have been a really smart deal um also the knicks are back to 500 and I if i if we'd done this pot a couple of weeks ago, I might have gotten despairing, <laughs> despairing Jason Concepcion instead of like happy-go-lucky Jason Concepcion. So where are you right now on this, though? Is, it, is this a playoff team? Is this a play-in team? Is this a lottery team? I think this is a, uh, you know, like, first of all, the East is crazy once again. You know, from from two, the second seed to the sixth is like two games. So... Anything can happen. But I think probably a play-in bubble, you know, a bubble playoff slash play-in team is correct. I think looking back on last season, I think we were all a little, number one, the the Knicks caught some people by surprise. Number two, they outperformed a lot of their advanced numbers and they just did it all season. You know, the uh, opposing teams missed a ton of three-pointers against them that were open. That played into, um, you know, their defensive numbers. And I think the idea coming into this season was, oh, we're a great defense. We're a solid defense. If we can just take, like, half a step back defensively and a full step forward offensively by acquiring guys like Kemba and Evan Fournier, then we're in great shape. But then it turned out the defense was maybe a little overinflated last season. So, you know, the basis for that kind of slipped. But I think when it all comes down, talent-wise, we're probably a, a... probably a playing team and that's fine um a year ago at this time you and yeah. i talked almost exactly a year ago because was, i was working on a story at that time about that nick's sudden resurgence and mm-hmm. how nick's fans nick's twitter were feeling you and i had a fun conversation talked to Jesus zamero for that that story alan sepinwall some other notable nick fans out there um and the general consensus at that time and you uh, felt this way too was 
you know what? I, this is just great. This is awesome. This is fun. Julius Randle has been great uh, quickly, all this stuff. It was just the joy of having a team that was good and fun and competitive and winning. And they go on to overachieve and, and finish fourth. And at the time, though, I asked you and I asked the rest of Knicks fans, and I'm going to ask it again now, was it worth the trade-off? Because it was really important in the moment for your, for the Knicks to be relevant and respectable so that mm-hmm. players would want to come there. On the other hand, that was a pretty good draft that they then ended up missing out on the top part of by not being bad. So yeah. Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes and all these guys. So looking back, do you still feel the same? Like like the trick? Because this is the, the, the perverted thing about the NBA, right? If you have a bad team, are you rooting for more bad so that you can get the good players who make you not bad anymore? Or are you rooting to actually win and have fun? Because that was the joy of being a Knicks fan last season was I got to see everybody like actually enjoying yeah. their team again. I think that... I think the draft is such a crapshoot. Uh, and tanking can be so painful in particular when it goes on for a while not just tanking but losing in general and so I think it was very important to show for the Knicks to show that after years of kind of real incompetence you're not like you're not the 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 worst and team in the entire league for 20 years on winning percentage because like you had a bad coach or one bad draft or made one bad it's because management the running of the team in general over time has been foolhardy incompetent etc right you don't suck for that long without there being a reason so i think it was important to show that things had changed and we were if anything not you know while not swinging for the fences just kind of like a normal a normal middling team that is run like a normal team without any of the kind of drama. So I think it was important to do that. And I think that they made, you know, Obi Toppin has uh, shown some punch, has shown some some fight. I think they've made some good draft picks. Uh, Grimes is uh, showing some uh, some some legs. IQ is exciting every time I watch him. So I think that the the draft picks they are making are showing some signs, so that's great. And I think overall, listen, the philosophy in New York has always been we're going to land that generational star because the bright lights in New York are are, are irresistible to the stars and, and we just have to set, package up New York as an experience and as a place to grow your brand and it'll come. Obviously, that was stupid and facile and has not worked. But... Doing it this way where you're like, we're a normal team. Look how excited the garden is for a 500 team. Look at this, right? Wouldn't you want to be part of this? Where the, Now, booing Julius is not <laughs> – that's a fly in the ointment. Let's ignore that for now. But look at how excited everybody is for a 500 team. They're bing-bonging outside the arena and going crazy, right? Wouldn't you want to be part of that? And on top of that, the people running it are normal. They're making normal moves. They're, uh, they, you know, they're not. It's not a trash fire. No one's brother is getting minutes on the team because, for whatever strange reason, et cetera. And I think that is important to do. So, I'll just say this: I think it's close enough with the kind of volatility and randomness of the draft and how painful losing and tanking can be. I think, in terms of opportunity cost, I, I would, I would grade it as as a success 
And in terms of the opportunities provided by both, probably a push. Because, like, what are the odds that we're really going to get into the top three? I've seen that movie before where the Knicks are dreaming about Zion or whoever getting it or, or Steph Curry, who's been, you know, like people love to talk about how close we came to, to drafting Steph Curry. And then either we get a high pick in a bad draft or we get a low pick right under, like, the best players because of the randomness of, of the draft. Uh, and so doing it this way, the Knicks can control their fate a little bit more. And it's a it's a real strategy that they are following through in a smart, normal, non-irrational way. I think that it's I, I think that it's been a success. Would I, I like agree. to have Evan Mobley? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. Okay. <laughs> like of course. I would love to have Evan Mobley. Do I wish we picked SGA over Kevin Knox? Of course. But those are, you know, we can only control the things that are happening right now. And so I think that it's the right, they're doing the right thing. What do you think? I, uh, I, I think that when you live here in New York and you see yeah. the effect, it's unmistakable and you see the value of that. That's the part of me that, the tiny little part of me that's still uh, emotional and human enough to, uh, uh, to understand how fans think because the, the fan inside me of any sport or anything died many, many years ago. Um, yeah. but, the, so the, the, but the basketball dork in me, the guy who covers the league, says this is not a path to anywhere because um, you, you did miss out on potentially Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes or somebody. Scotty Barnes or Josh Giddy or... Yeah. Yeah, you know. And you and I both know this, right? Like, you, you, in this league, you succeed at a high level once you get one of those players or a couple of those players to to build around. And I look at the Knicks and I think, Julius Randle... It's funny because I was looking back at my notes from when we talked a year ago and you were saying... I don't know where Julius Randle's going to go from here. Is he really an all-NBA second-team type player? And lo and behold, he was. And the answer (laughs) now is... No, yeah, and and and, uh, and you laughed as you said it then too. Like it was, it, it was one of those things where you just don't know that this should catch lightning in a bottle, or is there something sustainable? Because sustainability is the key thing here, right? Like having a good season and reviving the fan base and reviving respectability is all great, but you still have to have sustainability behind it. And I don't. I look at who the Knicks are right now, and I'm like, I don't know where this is all leading to. Um, and and that's like, I think that's the scary part. For for Knicks fans, for for for, for guys who sure. are rooting for them, is like where. So what what's next? Like if Julius Randle's your best player, where does that uh, lead? Well, I'll tell you what's know. next is. What's next is there is no more important project for the New York Knicks, and maybe no more important project for the New York Knicks in the last twenty years than the continuing development of R.J. Barrett. If he overshoots whatever ceiling we conceptually have for him, right? And I think he's already done it. You know, not in a dramatic sense, but he's already he's already a better playmaker than expected. He's already a more much more unselfish player than expected. He's not the kind of remorseless Kobe-esque shot you know, shot taker that he appeared to be. He's a basketball player works extremely hard, plays defense. Um has been extremely cold over most of this season, but has really come on with his aggressiveness over the last two games in particular, ever since he banked in that three against the Celtics. It's like there's been kind of some kind of switches changed. And to be fair to him, there's a lot of new players who need the ball that he's had to integrate with, yada, yada, yada. That being said, I think where we go depends a lot on how good, how good R.J. Barrett can be, 
how much he continues to develop because that's huge. Can he? Is he a piece? Is he the second or third best guy on a really good team level player? If that's the case, then then that changes the trajectory of this team somewhat. But I but I agree with you in the sense that listen, it's like the Knicks have the they have like the iceberg salad. They have the Brussels sprouts. They have uh, the f- they have the French fries. Um, they just need that steak. You know, they they need they need they need the entree, and they don't have it yet. But they have some pretty nice stuff around it. And and um, is R.J. Barrett like is he that beautiful salmon or steak? I don't know. But the last couple of games have me really excited about him. And again, when I when I look at what. Golden State has managed to do with with Wiggins. I think development. It's been such a weakness for the Knicks, a huge glaring black hole of an empty space. But if they can kind of figure that out now, with the kind of young talent they have, IQ, Obi Toppin, Grimes, RJ, then things can really come together and they can come together unexpectedly kind of like all of a sudden. It's like when I look at the Grizzlies obviously have much more talent than the Knicks, but the kind of things that they've done with like Desmond Bain and finding these guys that like are lower in the draft, but you develop them and they take on the identity of a team. That kind of stuff I think is where the Knicks can really move the needle outside of this kind of, dream of hitting a home run with a free agent because of the vibe of New York and the and the and the uh you know the kind of the specific way they've structured the the deals for their players that they have so they can move them as pieces for this uh, potential free agent that may or may not come in the future but I think developing these young players now that's the thing can that's how you move the needle that's where the potential is that's how you raise that ceiling and my fear is that at some point, or my, it's not fear, but the concern, I think that, that the DNA of, of that franchise yes. is still there. Right. And at some point, they're, they're going to move gonna, them. They're, they're going right. to trade them. Right. Gonna we're going to trade them for, for Mellow yeah. Trade Part 2. <laughs> or and something. We're all going to go. Something like that. Listen, it's a, I, I, I hope it's a concern. Wrong. It's always a concern, right? But uh, right now, it's a good problem to have. It's a good anxiety to have because some of these young guys are really, really fun to watch and exciting. I'm still trying to figure out who the iceberg lettuce is, the iceberg salad. I think it's Obi. Is, uh, you know, uh, maybe I don't know. Who's the Brussels sprouts? That's a dangerous one. Like, it's, uh, gosh. People are very, that's very polarizing, Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. Who's I guess the most polarizing be, Nick? The most polarizing Nick right now? It Gosh, probably Julius, honestly. Julius is the Brussels sprouts. Yeah, Julius is the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and, you know, we thought he was the steak. He, he threatened to be the steak. But it turns out he's the Brussels sprouts. There's nothing wrong with that. They're obviously a much better team with with him uh, on the floor. But the Hawks gave everybody a blueprint a little bit, and I think that uh, Julius has not shown an ability to 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 his, to evade that particular blueprint, which is fine. You know, again, the young guys, if they continue to develop, and this becomes. Uh, more of a team, a five-man team, you know, uh, than a, a star-based team, then I don't hate that. I, I'm just happy to be in the mix after so long outside of it. 
Yeah, I think that's still the prevailing feeling. And by the way, I will I will stand for Brussels sprouts. I will defend Brussels sprouts. I, I don't really think I like Brussels sprouts. They just got to be done right. If, yeah. if you don't like Brussels sprouts, you just still haven't had them right. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Um, all right, a couple more before I get you out of here. Uh, <laughs> rank the following Knicks fan catchphrases oh, because gosh. Bing Bong just took off. And the thing that was great about it was it was completely organic. It just came off a dude on the street on a video. Bing Bong, Knicks tape, or the Go New York, Go New York, Go theme. I was trying to come up with that. I couldn't find oh, another wow. catchphrase. I think those are the only three of the last, say, 20, 30 years. Uh, it's bing bong because there's more uh there's just kind of more penetration into the into the pop cultural consciousness like it it was like a real real meme on on social media for a while and continues to be with various variations there's like the there was the christmas uh, song version of the various bing bongs there are I, I saw uh, when Get Back the Get Back uh, three part Beatles documentary Peter Jackson's Peter, Beatles documentary on Disney Plus came out. There was uh, a woman who did who did the all the Bing Bong catchphrases as member of the Beatles. <laughs> I'm going hard. If you see this helmet out in your yard, just know I'm upstairs going hard. Bing Bong. Fuck your life. It it was funny. So that continues to have legs. So I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Bing Bong. I think that's right. I think that's right. It's the most fun of all of those. Go New York, Go New York, Go is just kind of a classic theme. And, and Nick's tape was always kind of a, a weird, goofy thing that came. Yeah, it was goofy. Yeah, way yeah. after mixed tapes were actually even a thing. It just uh, it was just a bad hashtag. Uh, and then lastly, as a diehard Knicks fan, mm-hmm. um, how much do you hate? How much do you think about or how much do you completely ignore the fact that the Brooklyn Nets might actually win a championship? Does that I, have, I don't Does it matter? I, I, I'm I listen, I'm not th- I I I won't be thrilled if they win. I'm not happy about it. I'll be delighted to see the uh the the sparseness of the population of their uh, of their championship parade should they win that would be funny to me uh, <laughs> i i find the pumped in crowd noise to be 
truly undignified and pathetic. That said, I really don't. I don't. I don't ever think about them. Like I watch their games. It's fine. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. They don't. They're not. They're this weird small market team in a big market that doesn't kind of has yet to really penetrate the kind of like sports culture of New York. I mean, at any given time, you look at the back pages and it's still New York, New York, New York, New York Knicks. So um, I, it doesn't bother me at all. But with the caveat that I am not, I am not, I no longer live in New York City. So I'm not, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not seeing their, uh, I'm not seeing Nets jerseys just like on the street. I'm not walking by the Barclays. So it's a different vibe, but it doesn't bother me. Yeah. I think that that's a very consistent uh, uh, phenomenon. And, you know, you you grew up in New York and live in L.A. I spent many years in L.A. before moving to New York. The Lakers, Clippers, and Knicks-Nets dynamics are fully analogous in that Laker fans, Knicks fans, just do not give two bleeps about <laughs> the other team, even if they're better. It's like, yeah, yeah, but you still don't matter. And that's the ultimate retort to everything. I see this on Twitter every day between warring factions of Knicks and Nets fans in my feed. And it's it's the consistent thing. The Nets fans say, well, we're better. And the Knicks fans, oh, yeah, but we don't care. It and nobody's ma- yeah, paying it attention. Matter. It's a strange yeah, I mean, thing. The, the, the small market team in big market in both the Nets and Clippers cases, that's an accurate summation. Mm-hmm. That's really, that is kind of what it is because they don't get the same level of um, attention, scrutiny, hype. Uh, it, it's yep. just really hard to penetrate um, the, the public consciousness because these, those other two teams are so long established. Well, I think specific to the Knicks, LA is different, but you know, New York, the sports market there is, and for uh, as long as there have been sports leagues in New York, has been extremely divided. You know, you used to have the Giants and the. Uh, and the Dodgers and the Yankees, and now you have the Mets and the Yankees, and you have the Giants and the Jets uh, and the Buffalo Bills for people who want to include them, and you have the Islanders and the Rangers. But there's for decades, there was just the Knicks. So when the Knicks were good, it unified the city in a way that was really unique, that kind of didn't happen in any other kind of way, you know, like the Yankees would win a, a World Series and, you know, an, an entire borough of Queens plus a lot of Long Island would just be like, eh. And any of the, anybody that was like used to be a Giants fan or a Dodgers fan that then transitioned to the to the Mets is like, who cares? We don't care about it. But when the, Net, when the Knicks were good, it unified the city. So um, that is still kind of, that's still the case, essentially. And the Nets have I'm, this is not to say the nets don't have their fans there've been a lot of people that have come over from the swamp days that have just you know transitioned their fandom a lot of the people who live in brooklyn who are nets fans are the same as clippers fans like transplants people who lived around the barclays or like oh the I go to a game for 15 bucks. I guess I'll do that. And then they become fans, you know. So, it's a lot of newer sports fans, which is not to denigrate their their um their uh love of the game, but it's just different. The the Knicks have generations and generations and generations of New York sports fans. Yeah. In, you know, like who have bought in. The Nets are very new. 
Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. I keep saying like, it just gets, it's going to take like people of my daughter's generation who grew up here in Brooklyn um, and then their kids or whatever. And then even still, who knows? Like, it's just going to take a long time. It will just take years. It will take a long time. It will, it will absolutely take a long time. I'd be remiss uh, before we uh, leave the subject in the podcast as well. Um, My uh, good buddy and colleague, Chris Herring, his book on the Knicks, Blood in the Garden is out. I have not had a chance to crack it yet. I don't know if you have, Jason, but um, the early reviews are spectacular and Herring is awesome. So I'm sure it's great. Uh, People should go go by that as well. Uh, Do you have a a two two sentence review before I let you go? Um, You know, it's uh, if you are one of these people who uh, who waxes nostalgic for the days in which the players would just uh, tee off on each other and, and very few people would be ejected and you think players are too soft now um you've just or, described every Knicks fan <laughs> yeah then uh pick up pick up Chris Herring's book because it really is like a report from another world uh, just like a different kind of basketball world some of the stuff in there that you, you just it's crazy that a lot of that stuff happened. That's the that's the team of my childhood, and now with the, you know the benefit of years behind me, I can admit that they almost ruined basketball. But it was a fun ride <laughs> while it was happening. From a distance, it was one of those things where I could see like this those that was a team that only New Yorkers could love, right? Everybody else was going to hate what they were about and what they were doing, whatever. But New Yorkers were were like for for all time that will be the model. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of these weird things about New York where. Uh, you know, uh, I guess like the public facing image of New York is like this world beating international city, you know, stockbrokers and billionaires and real estate moguls and Donald Trump and all these people. But really, like the way the city thinks about itself is like this gritty, you know, blue collar sanitation worker fireman kind of city. And so like that team with guys like John Starks, who was bagging groceries, and Anthony Mason, who played at, like on every continent except Antarctica before coming to the Knicks, it really like it really uh, it really spoke to something in the heart of the New York fan. And then, you know, and they were just they were just extremely physical. They had one guy, Patrick Ewing, who could score twenty every night. The rest of them, it was like you just wondered where the scoring was going to come from. And so, the strategy was. We will keep you from scoring by hitting you in the face every time you try to score. <laughs> it's a strategy. I mean, it is, and it was. And that was what happened, and the league let it happen for a long time. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, if people want to reminisce about or just learn about all of that for the first time, uh, go pick up Chris Herring's book, Blood in the Garden. Um, check out all Jason's work, of course. Take line, X-ray vision. NBA all caps. Have I missed anything? Uh, that's it. You got it that's all. That's it. That's just just that. <laughs> Jason, this has been a blast. Thanks so much. Uh, appreciate it. I, I kept you a little long, but uh, thank you for oh, spending the fine. time. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Jason Concepcion for joining me. Thanks to our producers, Dan Bloom and Shelby Royston. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. Go subscribe to the Sports Illustrated podcast channel on YouTube and hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.